1: We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You heard her. Go subscribe.
1: Hello, this is Caroline K from CarolineK.co, and you're listening to Snippets of Genius. If you're a client, show guest, weekly listener, or friend of mine, welcome back. If you're new to the show, it's great to have you here. And I hope that this is exactly the inspiration you've been needing to become the person you most want to be. Each episode is your reminder that anything is possible. I speak with the world's most impressive leaders, entrepreneurs, and innovators to share their stories from the big lessons to the unbelievable moments of taking their ideas global. Our conversations are your guide to burst your next opportunity wide open. And today I am so excited to bring to you a guest who has something that aligns very closely with my heart. I'm so delighted to introduce David Allison. He's my genius guest today, who is a human values expert, global researcher, and bestselling author. In fact, now when I say bestselling author, that could mean a whole lot of things, but Inc Magazine named his last book one of the top 10 best leadership books of the year. But then on top of that, in this month, in fact, he's going to be relaunching his new book, The Death of Demographics. That's going to come out in November 2022. I can't wait to dig into a bit more of what's in that book. David, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I love the flowers behind you, by the way. They look great. I know we're audio <laughs> only, but those are really beautiful flowers.
1: Thank you. I'm kind of a little bit obsessed with greenery and flowers and actually moved out to the country because I was living in the city and now I've moved out to the country last June, kind of when we got out of the midst of COVID. And I just, I just love nature and it's either in the house or it's outside, but I'm right in the middle of it. Where are now, you based?
0: I'm in Vancouver in Canada, on the West coast of Canada. So if I look across the water, I'm looking at Japan, but I want to go back to why you moved out into the country and tell me a little bit about, you said, I love nature. Why do you suppose nature does things for you the way it does?
1: Oh, Wow. I think it's a little bit about being brought up in the country. I was a country girl when I was young. And it's funny, I was desperate to be in the city. It was that grass is always greener kind of right. feeling of, oh, look at the bright, pretty lights. Look at the early events. And people get to go to theater and they get to do things. I want all of that. And then I lived in London for up to 10 years. And it was, it was a wonderful experience. I was out every night. My kitchen was used as extra storage for my stuff because, you know, I just, <laughs> I was never in, I was out and I really loved it. Fast paced life. And then I moved out to Italy and I'm based out in Rome now. And and I was in right in the heart of Rome and I'm, I'm loving it. And I'm again, going out a lot Aperitivo culture out here is just amazing. And then after a while, well, after COVID, <laughs> sitting indoors, traffic noise, it wasn't too bad, while well, we're in complete lockdown, but it soon re-kicked off, you know, the sound of the bin men, the bottle bins. I don't know. It's still just kind of hectic chaos. And, and I think change of life, working from home, just wanting a bit more tranquility and, and a garden. And then the opportunity came to move and I was like, yeah, got to be done. So it's a long way to answer your question, but I think it's kind of, you always want what you can't have, maybe something yeah. like that.
0: So I'm going to tell you a little bit about yourself based <gasps> on that. Tell me. Uh, there's 56 core human values that drive everything that humans do. That's okay. it. Only 56 all the way around the world. And we can get into why I know that in a little bit. But based on what you just told me, which is granted a very small amount of information to work from, but I'm seeing a couple values bubbling to the surface here that drove you to make that decision. One of them sounds to me like peace, that there's some desire for some tranquility is the word you used so the word we would use to talk about that particular driving impulse in your life is is peace i'm also hearing something about health and well-being that it might be better for you from an emotional and mental state to be in a place that's less noisy that's less hectic a little slower and i'm also feeling a little bit of balance as a third value that's perhaps promoting this move that you made, because that's no small move to go from city life for after a decade out into a country existence. So if we say peace, and we say health and well being, and we say balance, if those are in fact, which I'd need to do a little more probing and, and make this a bit more scientific. But if those are in fact, the driving values in your life that have you make All the decisions you make, they're sort of like your GPS system about how you're going to move through the rituals of your day. And now you're standing in a grocery store and you're trying to decide between two cans of tomato soup I can pretty much tell you that the one that feels most like it is offering you something around balance and around health and well-being and and around peace is the one you're going to gravitate towards. And you're not going to be doing that consciously. You're going to be doing that subconsciously. So I would say if I was going to make tomato soup for you in a can, I'd want it to have pictures of nature on it. We should talk about these tomatoes, these plump, ripe, juicy tomatoes that are fresh picked from the garden by Italian grandmas who've been doing this for the last 50 years for their family. And we do it slow. We do it in small batches. We do it really carefully. There's no preservatives. There's nothing nasty in here. Even our labels are made out of uh, recycled paper with vegetable dyed ink. I think that's the tomato soup that you would buy and you'd probably pay a buck more for it than you would for the stuff that comes from a factory that doesn't have any of those values. So there you go. There's the power of values.
1: And it's amazing. And it's just that, that, you know, not only what blew my mind when I learned about you, David, was that you are actually working with brands to help them to connect with people by honoring their values. And you've just given an amazing example of that, where you have just tuned in to who I am and what I value. And it's so interesting because like you say, you would almost have to go a layer deeper To get into the science of it and that's what i'd really like to do today on this show is just understand what took you on this journey to go around the world doing this research interviewing people to understand values what what sparked this for you
0: oh my gosh well it was a lot of frustration Frankly, <laughs> it was it was just I had been a marketer for my whole life and we were always being asked by our clients and just by the way marketers work to look at a demographic target audience description and then figure out what to do. And it just seemed more and more absurd as time went by. When you realize that in today's you know, world, nobody acts their age anymore. And yet we're targeting 18 to 24 year olds, 25 to 36, 37 to 45. We all know the list, right? We can recite those little categories. Like there's some sort of, you know, magical numbers. And that the morning you wake up after a birthday, you're suddenly in a new category and you're a whole new person (laughs) because you had one sleep. So let me just wrap this back up to my opening example about you in a grocery store and soup. So if I knew that my entire target audience had those same three values, If I knew that, it wouldn't matter if they were male or female, rich or poor, young or old, black or white, gay or straight, and how many kids they have. None of that demographic stuff would matter because the only thing I would need to know is those three or four values they have in common, I know how to make my soup. I know how to make a label. I know how to make a brand. I know how to make a message. I know how to make a story. These people are motivated in everything they do in their life by balance, health and well-being, what was the other one we had for you? Peace. So if you take those three values and say, that's the way to understand my target audience, I don't care how old they are. It's not necessary to know that. It doesn't help me. Whether they're male or female, like think about that for a moment. We spend a lot of time arguing about, okay, my target audience is 73% male and the rest are female, or it's a 50-50 split. Or like, okay, cool. We ticked that box up. But what do you actually do with that information. Do you make things pinker and bluer based on where you are on a scale? Like it's it's like it's nonsensical, right? And yet we we have these boxes to tick. We get all excited when we tick them. We go, "Okay, we know gender, age, income, marital status, number of kids, education level, white collar, blue collar, pink collar." Cool. <laughs> Yay us. Okay, yeah. let's move on and start spending money now.
1: It's so interesting. There's this world of data and big data. It's so exciting right now. And it it has been for the last few years, I think, where everyone's getting deep into what they know about people and like what rich information they have and how big Google and Facebook have grown because they have all this data and they know everything about us and what we like. And I think it's so interesting that you're going beyond the data and actually getting more into that emotional connection with people and understanding, you know, what drives them, what adds up to take us in a direction we want to go with our lives, because that's what really understanding values is about. It's about having that, you call it a, a GPS system, I think, where it's for guiding you. But I absolutely agree. It's like I use it to support people I work with when they're wanting to be more motivated in what they're doing, make those better decisions. It's like knowing your values helps you make faster decisions. It helps you know that you're back in the driving seat of your life and you're deciding where you want to go. And I just think it's fascinating that you not only took it upon yourself to, to go deep into this research, but you, you took it to, I think it was 750,000 surveys. That's just, and just a little bit of research. And <laughs> in 180 <laughs> countries and 152 languages. I mean, it's kind of staggering. So yeah. you say you were a little bit annoyed about something, and, you know, oh, I just started to do this research. <laughs> but I'm so interested in how you even sort of, I mean, I'm sure it just grew and grew and grew, but could you talk to us about how you even tackle a project this big?
0: Yeah. Well, it did grow and grow and grow. It was actually, you know, the story about 3M sticky notes and microwave ovens that like that never. was never what they said. Yeah. So 3M sticky notes, <laughs> the people at 3M who invented those, it was a mistake. It wasn't what they were looking for. They were looking for some really hardcore glue. And this, okay. was, a, this was a failure. This was like, oh, this stuff's terrible. This has got no glue stick at all. And they're like, wait it's... a minute, we could make sticky notes with this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and microwave ovens, the same thing. There's a bunch of products that have come into the world based on somebody who thought they were going to find something and found made a mistake and went, Well, hey, wait, wait a minute, what's that? That's even cooler. And that's our story. I was in the real estate development marketing world, had done it really successfully for about 10 years. We had projects all over the world, had a staff of 30 people, and it was great. And so I I retired from that world. I sold my company to management and said, I'm I'm gonna it's time for me to take a backseat here and do some other things, but I'm, I'm going to keep writing books and speaking because I really enjoy doing that. So I was going to write a book about the next thing that was on my mind at that moment was how come in the urban planning world, we spend so much time and, and effort researching how to build diverse communities because we know that diverse communities are happier and healthier than monoculture communities. That's a proven fact all over the world. And yet, when we build a condo tower, it's a monoculture. This one's for rich boomers. This one's for young first-time <laughs> homeowners who've never had a home before. We separate it out into... So why can't the diversity go in the front door and all the way up to the top floor? That was my central question. That's what I was out setting out to try and discover. So we started to do some research so I could write another book. and I was going to call it The Boomerennials because I thought that was really cute. <laughs> and I still own com. If anybody out there wants it, you can come and buy it. It's a cheap fire sale now. And the data for the first batch of surveys started to come in. And a startling fact was revealed that people didn't really care about anything that the real estate development industry thinks they care about that they weren't concerned about whether or not they had a fancy kitchen or a rooftop swimming pool or all those things. Of course, they're concerned in that stuff, but they they will pay more, as much as 15% more for their home. Think about that. That's the most expensive thing in our lives, whether we rent or own. Our home is the most expensive thing in our lives. People will voluntarily pay 15% more, as much as 15% more, for one thing and only one thing. And that's that they wanted to live in a building with people who saw the world the same way they did. They wanted to be with people just like them. They wanted to be with people who shared their values. Now, they all had different ways of saying that. They said, but but, but basically how did you above- find that out?
1: How did well, you just, figure we were, that we were, out? That that's we where the connecting asking, dot.
0: We were just asking. We were like, well, what would you pay more for? And Okay. This is the, you know, when you ask enough people, this is the whole point of doing 750,000 surveys, right? When you, when you ask enough people an open-ended question like that, and you start looking at the responses, you can start to see patterns in the noise. And one of the you know, I talk about it like Halloween candy. We dump the Halloween, ca- which is for those of you who aren't in North America and don't understand what happens at Halloween. Kids go running around from door to door, up and down the street. and They get giant pillowcases full of candy. People throw candy in their pillowcase. So, as a parent, you, your kids comes home, and the first thing you do is you dump the pillowcase out on the on the dining room table, and you have to sort out. The, well, you don't have to, but you can sort out <laughs> the candy, and you can, which is always the fun <laughs> part for me anyway, because I guess maybe I'm a bit of a data geek. So you sort it out. You're like, uh, okay, there's chocolate over there, and there's lollipops over there and there's bubblegum over there, you don't know going in what you're going to find. The data tells you how it wants to be sorted out. So when you ask people a long form question, like what would you pay more for? And in your home and enough people start saying stuff, you dump all that stuff out on the table and you start to see the patterns. And the one that came out loud and clear was people would pay more for living in a building of people who are just like them. So that was wow. the spark. That was the moment where we went, well, why would that just be homes? I wonder yeah. if values are more important than demographics, because the popular thought in that industry was that people want to live with a bunch of people just like them. That's saying, no, demographics don't matter. I don't care about that. And in fact, to back it up, we saw another pile of data we saw in that study was people saying they don't want to live in a building full of people just like them. Their words, not mine. That sounds like a ghetto. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Okay. So this thing that we're spending hundreds of trillions of dollars a year building all over the world, these towers that are in their words, a ghetto that they would pay more for if people were mixed up in there. That's, that, was like, that was our 3M sticky note moment. We're I mean, like, this is what we're on to here. People will pay more for things they value. So let's figure out how we can look at people based on what they value and turn that into a set of data. Because you made a a little allusion to this when you did my introduction, which was very kind. Thank you for that, by the way. Values are something we've known for a very, very long time, drive humans. This has been studied by social scientists, by sociologists, psychiatrists, neurologists. This has been studied for decades and decades all over the world, that our values drive us. Our values determine everything we do, whether you know it's happening or not. You don't have a choice. It's what being human is. There's a part of your brain that bosses you around. That's your CEO, your prefrontal cortex. Your prefrontal cortex uses your values to figure out how you're going to go through your day. So that's an established fact. The problem was, in the business community or in the world at large, we've been using that fact in a very poetic way. And we sit back and say, what are our values? Well, gee, our CEO loves Sustainability. That's his favorite word. So that should be one of them. And wouldn't it be nice if diversity was one of our values? Yeah, I think so. Everybody will like that. And so we come up with our list of values and we put them on the wall behind the receptionist, nice little aluminum letters that we've cut out. And we say, there we go. There's our values. And we can't do that. We can't do that anymore. We need, now that we know how powerful they are and how they'll actually make people pay more for things. Well what to you just described is
1: terrifying. It's terrifying to me that people will just go, what should they be? I don't know, let's just pluck some names out of the sky and let's just well, put them true, on a wall and go, it? boom, that's what they are. And it's, it's frightening.
0: It's how they do, it. It's, how it's they
1: do not it. How, it. it's somehow some do it and it's so wrong. It's so wrong. It's terribly wrong.
0: I, I, I call it six vice presidents in a box of donuts methodology. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's how you, you lock six vice presidents in a boardroom and Don't come out until the donuts are gone and you've got the values figured out. That's that's how it goes. Uh,
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's not how it should be done. Tell us how it should be done, because I I have my own methodology, but I would love to hear yours.
0: Well, you can ask people what their values are. But the problem is we all have a slightly different idea of what those words mean. And another problem is there's a lot of survey bias that starts to pop up when you ask people direct questions. Like imagine a room full of people and you say, "Okay, who for who here has family as a value? Who's going to say no? Because that would make you yeah, an awful person. Exactly,
1: that would make you a really terrible right? person. Exactly. And, and
0: and environmentalism. Who's really spends their life thinking about ways that they can make every decision in their life based in a way that will 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 benefit the, this planet of ours? Who's going to say no?
1: I think there are people that it's genuine, and others, like you're alluding to, are saying it because it feels like the right thing to say.
0: And, and why that. are they saying so? Let's talk about Tesla, for example. Tesla cars are not bought by people who care for the environment exclusively. Some of them are sold to people who care for the environment, but others are sold to people who just want to fit in with their friends or who think it's a status symbol or they're best friends with the car dealer. There's all kinds of reasons. Now, there's stated reason. Why did you buy your Tesla? Oh, environmentalism for sure. And so what we need to do is find a way to make this more accurate, make this actual...
1: Yeah, that's it. So tell us, how do you make it more accurate?
0: Right. So So first thing you do is you talk to 750,000 people in 152
1: (laughs) languages. Just a a little thing to do then.
0: (laughs) So we we did. We went around the world across 180 countries with a team of translators. And we we did surveys with 750,000 people, 152 languages. And we built this database that's more accurate than you need for a PhD from Harvard or Cambridge or Oxford. And it's a plus or minus 3.5% accurate, 95% level of confidence. If there's any data geeks listening, that's those are pretty impressive numbers. And what's even more impressive is that the way we collected this data is what's referred to as a random stratified statistically representative sample. Now, that's a fun thing to say at a cocktail party, but only after you've rehearsed it and only after your first drink, because after your second drink, you cannot say that anymore. Uh, so
1: <laughs> I've got a question we, for you. I'm yeah. a little confused. So, yeah, Okay. Okay, a bit like a Halloween analogy where you've got all the chocolate and you're chipping it out and figuring it out and sorting it. Is it the same to understand what people's values are? Because I have the, as we've just discussed, this awareness that people think they value something, but actually if they go deeper into understanding who they are and what really matters, their top values only come out when they do that sort of deeper level of questioning of themselves to get to the right answer. So is it because you've gone through this I can't say all those statistics like you just did, but that <laughs> 95% accuracy getting there through these layered questions to really yes. get to the real, yeah. what it really is, what really matters.
0: So there's there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of questions. And those questions are all what we call secondary line of questioning. So you never ask people if family's important because they're going to have a biased response to that. But instead, what we say is, Tell me about your favorite thing. Let's let's say it's, and you know, the example I use in my, my the book that's out now, not the one that's about to launch, but because I'm Canadian, we use this example of, of hockey. So we find some hockey fans and they say, okay, cool. You're into hockey. Great. We'd really like to understand hockey fans. So um, you must have a favorite team. Well, of course I do. And if your team is kicked out of the series in the second game of the season, would you cheer for another team? Don't be stupid. I'm a, I'm a one man. Want, it's my team or nobody's team. Okay, cool. Thanks. So when you're watching a games, do you watch them? Do you go to them live? Do you watch them on TV? Do you watch them with your friends? Do you watch them with your family? Do you take people from work? Do you travel for games? Do you have a jersey? Do you have two jerseys? Do you drink when you're there? And so on and so ah. on. People are having an amazing time telling me about how, how hockey is a big part of their lives. Now, if they never mention family, that tells me something. And if they only mention friends, that tells me something. And what they're really telling me is about loyalty, that tells me something. And you ask 750,000 people those questions, and now you got your Halloween candy on the table, and you can start to sort it out and go, okay, so these people. Family didn't show up in any of the stuff we talked about that's the most important things in their lives. We don't have to ask about family. We, we can see how family gotcha. is going down over there, right? So yeah. you, the, the kind of question you ask is super important. It has to be what we refer to as a secondary line of questioning. It can't be primary. It can't be, is the environment important? You know, I see so many surveys online. It makes me nuts. one One of the one of the rules of podcasting is you're supposed to stay positive, but I'm going to go negative here for just a second. But okay. it's a, I see these surveys put out by very well meaning groups, and they say things like Gen Z will love doing business with brands that are focused on the environment and they're honest and and fun. So environmental, honest, and fun. You go, all right that's cool. Cause I'm a baby boomer and I want my brands to lie to me and ruin the planet and be boring. Who's going to say no to that stuff. Who's going to say no. So you read those things. You got to, you got to read those survey results. These the media coverage is just like, Gen Z's all like this. Boomers are all like that. You got to like, how did you ask the question? Are, are yeah. you just setting them up to ask answer a question that they're, of course, going to answer in one way versus another? Anyway, so we have this big, uh, back to positive. Yay, happy David. So we have, this, <laughs> we have this giant database. And then we can find a group of people who I always end up re- reaching for my reading glasses here because they're always handy. So here's my reading glasses. And we're going to try and figure out how I'm going to sell these reading glasses in Belgium versus Boston. So what we need to understand is the target audience. So what will make them say yes? Because our values drive all our decisions, remember? So we need to figure out what the values of these people are so that we can say to the guy selling reading glasses in those two parts of the world, they're, they're absolutely the same. Or they're slightly different over here than they are over there. So you need to tweak your messaging a little bit for this audience versus that audience. So it's one thing that we can do now is tell with certainty, solve that age old marketing question. Can you be the same everywhere in the world? Or do you have to have regional variances based on the kinds of people that are going to be interested in your product? So for reading glasses, demographics are still important because we do need to understand that these are not selling to 18 year olds. Chances are they're going to be a certain age based demographic. And you extrapolate that out to any other product category you might be thinking about. There may be other demographic realities. There are products that are just for women. There are products that are just for men. That's all fine. That's all good. Demographics are a great way to put a fence around the people that your product or service or brand is for. And that's important. But the problem is, we've been then saying, now that we have that fence, so we understand we're talking to baby boomers who need reading glasses, well, you know what baby boomers are like. They all are terrible with technology, so we shouldn't have an app to sell these things because baby boomers suck when it comes to using their fingers and pushing buttons on a phone. So that's what we've been doing wrong with demographics. They're amazing as a way to help us put a fence around people, but to try and understand who people are, not just what they are. That's where they fall down, but we haven't had a better system. So then there's psychographic data that's the sec we, we refer to this as a three-legged stool of audience insights. So the first leg on the stool is demographics. The second leg on the stool is psychographics. We may know that this is this audience of people that we're targeting. This is their second or third pair of reading glasses and that they break them at a, like I do at a rate of one a month. And so they're constantly replacing them. And that the most they're willing to pay is $29 because they break them once a month and they have four pairs on average at any given time in different parts of the house because they don't want to have to go searching for them. So that's all Good psychographic information about their behaviors. And sometimes we know things about their emotions. It might be they hate the fact that they have to wear reading glasses, but they're afraid of going for laser surgery. It's getting very personal now, this little story I'm telling you. So we have all the psychographic information. But the problem with psychographic information, it has a fatal flaw as well, is that it all, all that data we've been collecting for 20, 30 years now, it all comes from exactly the same place. And that's the past. Because as soon as you can write it down, you know it, it's over. Even if it happened 10 seconds ago, even if it happened in the last second and you write it down, you know it, it's historical data. So we have, what do we have so far? Two legs of the stool. Demographics tell us what people are, but not who they are. Psychographics tell us everything that's happened so far, how they felt, how they behaved, all that kind of stuff. The third leg of the stool, which you have to have, or you got a pretty tippy stool here, is value graphics to help you understand what will make them do something next. Because we're all in the business of trying to get people to do something. And that's about the future. We have to look forward, not in the rearview mirror. The rearview mirror data, that's cool. You may see some patterns. Well, this guy's a prime prospect for these reading glasses because he buys them a lot and he keeps breaking them. We love that guy. He's like a prime prime fellow for us. High value customer. High value customer. But what's going to make him buy those? Let's go back to some values. Let's say one of his core values is environmentalism. Well, then you need to be pumping up. And augmenting and amplifying as much as you can, whatever you're doing around environmental issues, maybe it's recycled plastic, maybe you're, you're, maybe they biodegrade, maybe they are so well made that you only will ever need to buy one more pair for the rest of your life and you can keep all those broken ones out of the landfill. But you wouldn't know that that was an important plank for selling to that guy, unless you knew that your target audience shared that value of environmentalism, because in the inverse, just to give it a cap on this, let's say the value, you know, they all have in common is ambition. So now you're going to say something different. Forget the environmental stuff, still do it because you're a good company, but it's not going to be the thing that will move the needle. You don't need to brag about it. Just do it because we all should be doing that stuff. The ambition value, however, may lead you to strategies that are about Oh, I don't know. These are the reading glasses that King Charles wears. Or these these have a royal warrant. Or these are the, the oldest reading glasses in the world and they've been worn by all the great writers over the course of time. You have a totally different Lovely. platform.
1: Yeah. It's a just it's another conversation that you're having there with your customers and the audiences. And that's really exciting. And you touched on something there, which is ambition, which I really that's like a oh, something that gets me all fired up, as you can imagine. If we get really into my values, but one of the things I love is like thinking about how we can help leaders take bigger steps. How mm. we can get people to step out of their comfort zone and do big things, great things, like amazing things. Like I don't know, go around the world doing seven hundred and fifty thousand surveys. Like go mm. and do big stuff. That if you think about it at the beginning, you're be like, well, that's crazy. That's an insane amount of work, but. Maybe you'll just take a step in the right direction and look at something that you say is a failure and actually see an opportunity. I think there's so much in that. And one of the things that really excited me when I was looking into the great work that you've been doing is that you're helping great leaders and teams to not only engage with their customers, but actually engage as a, as a unit, as a team to, to do bigger things and to do great things because they understand each other. And I think there's something really powerful in there. And I'd love to explore that. And just some of the work you're doing with people like United Nations Foundation, Lululemon, PayPal. I mean, these are big, big companies around the world. And I'd just love to understand how you're helping people both in the organization to do more outside.
0: We just had a little noise in the background there. Sorry, something fell off my wall. So, <laughs> yes. It's incredibly important to understand all the different stakeholders that are involved in an organization's success. And one could argue that the people on the inside are as important or more important than the folks on the outside of the company. In fact, there's an old management philosophy about all the different mm, stakeholders that you need to be considering if you're going to be a great leader. And that they and there's five. One of them is your employees. One of them is your customers but there's also your vendors, your partners. There's there's also the communities that you're working within, all the community members. And then on top of that, if you're a public company anyway, or even just have some partners, the shareholders of the organization as well. And the this is referred to as stakeholder capitalism, which is a nasty phrase. It's two nasty words smashed together to make a bigger nasty word. They need to rebrand that. If anybody wants Who to came rebrand up with that? St- stakeholder <laughs> capitalism, it sounds like something Dracula does to make money. It's a smart thing to think about though, because in the past, it's always been the purpose of a business is to return value to the shareholders. And in today's world, in this values economy that we live in, we can't think that way anymore. So if you understand the shared values of all five of those groups of people, and they'll probably have very different value graphic profiles for each one of those audiences. But because there's only 56 values that drive everything that humans do, there will always be some values that overlap between any two groups of people, even if it's just one or two. If you can find one or two values that overlap for all five of those groups, now you got sort of a North Star That you can use to navigate with and every decision the leader of that organization makes should be made in reference to that north star because you know where that north star will lead you that north star will lead you to this mythical place that we're all searching for right now which is the intersection of purpose and profit that intersection is really hard to find when you don't know what people care about but when you do know what their values are across all stakeholders, well, now it's not so hard to find that intersection. So yes, it's That's incredibly important to, to to be thinking about the people inside an organization. You're only going to have a successful workplace culture if you have a culture that reflects the values of the people in the workplace. That culture is what makes people want to stay and what makes people want to give their their, their all every day and that what makes people want to follow a leader. Otherwise, you're just, you know, we have so many companies coming to us and they're just saying, oh, we can't figure out how to attract people. And once we've got them in here, we can't figure out how to keep them they just keep churning out. And, you know, a consultant comes in and says, well, what they really all want is a raise. So we give them all more money and then they leave. And then someone else says, what they really all want is more better technology. So we get them all better technology and then they just keep leaving. <laughs> and and we just like the, the approach seems to be to just throw stuff up in the wall and see what sticks, throw the pasta on the mm-hmm. wall and see what sticks. There's an Italian reference for you living as well. <laughs> and so there's a better way, which is to use actual empirical data to understand what drives these people what are their core values where do those all overlap find that place where they all overlap and then use that as the guiding principle for everything that the company does
1: that's amazing and so is it the same process as those surveys that you took across the world you taking those into these organizations or what's your process to understand these stakeholders
0: it's a very similar process we're in the middle of upgrading it so that it's going to be possible for one individual person to take this survey and find out what their values are with the veracity that comes from us having a database of three quarters of a million people. Cause you can give anybody a survey and say, okay, let's ask you some questions and figure out what your values are. But if you're checking that against, the answers from 750,000 other humans around the world, suddenly you're able to do it in a way that comes back to people, much like I did with you at the beginning of this podcast. And people go, wow, have you been eavesdropping on my life? And that's the goal. So then you can take all of that information and you amalgamate it with the responses that we get from all the other members of a team or all the other people within an organization. And you put all of those together and you can generate an amalgamated, anonymized report for a leader and say, okay, I mean, let's talk about this in terms of a giant company. You can say, my marketing department is driven by these things. My sales department is driven by these things. My HR department, my accounting department, my C-suite they're all aligned on certain things, but they're all a little bit different. So the way we deal with them, the way we put programs in place to help them with training and career growth and, and compensation systems and even assignments within the organization to one set of tasks versus another can all be driven by what's in their hearts. Because what ends up happening on the marketing side or the employee side, once you know what people's values are, it's like you their best friend. You know how what's going on inside their hearts deep inside their hearts you know you've had those friends you can not talk to for three or four years and then suddenly you sit down have a have a i'm going to try and be as italian as i can for you today an espresso and a biscotti and 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 share that espresso and biscotti that you haven't seen each other for three years and the conversation just picks up right where it left off it's because you know how to talk to each other like a trusted friend now as far as i'm concerned the purpose of marketing Is to speak to our consumers and serve our consumers like a trusted friend now we can do that because values have become data and as far as i'm concerned the purpose of leadership is to deal with our employees and understand what makes them tick as if they were a trusted friend and now we can do that because we have data that tells us what's inside their hearts this is a whole new paradigm shift in the way we understand ourselves the way we understand each other and then the big story as far as i'm concerned here is that the ways we're proceeding now, the the status quo to use primarily demographics to look at each other, that validates demographics as a way to look at the world. And so that means we're running around giving ourselves and others permission to say, let's look at some people based on age. Guess what that is? That's ageism. Let's look at some people based on race guess what that is? That's racism. Let's look at a bunch of our target audiences and it's perfectly fine to think about people based on gender. Well, that's sexism. And we have homophobia and we have all of these social problems that we're grappling with and not very successfully, I might add, every single day. And they're, they're being propped up by our insistence at just kind of saying it's fine to look at people this way. It's okay to keep using these tools and business. Mm-hmm. A huge portion of the world works inside an organization that has adopted this, 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 this dogma that says, look at people based on this stuff is, makes a lot of sense to us. And so it just continues to perpetuate these myths that demographics somehow tell us something about each other and it's damaging the world. It's not good for business. It's not good for us. It's not good for the world. So why do we keep on doing it? Because we haven't had values-driven data. And now we do.
1: Oh, well, we'll be all the better for it, for that sound. And, yeah. and it's so fascinating what you're saying there and just about you know, exactly all the things we're grappling with and all the things we're trying to overcome, to be better humans and to be better to each other. And actually, by understanding values, we can do so much more that connection with a, a trusted friend, you, you can so instantly think of someone you know who you haven't seen in years and you can sit down with and pick up just where yeah. you left off. and mm-hmm. I really like that to be able to do that in retail, in you know when you're out shopping for brands to be able to connect with you like someone that you've you've known a long time that builds that trust, it's, it's amazing, it's transformative. and I think it's so exciting that you're you've gone on this journey. And actually, that's something I'd like to dig into a little bit deeper now is this journey you've been on to sort of unpack (laughs) a lot of misconception and a lot of, you know, changing the status quo. You are changing the way that we're approaching marketing and advertising and and how we're going to go about, you know, doing our best work. So I suppose within your own experience of doing that, what came out that you weren't expecting?
0: The thing that I found remarkably beautiful is that there's only 56 core human values right now at this moment in history, there's so many forces out there who are determined to convince us that we're all very, very different from each other. And the us versus them narrative, that binary way we like to think about the world, it's black or white, it's right or wrong, it's bad or good. that, that there, There's divisions that we must understand and honor and respect there's only 56 things that make us different from each other all around the world. There's 88 keys on a piano keyboard. It is more complicated to understand how to play happy birthday on the piano than it is to understand the sum total of human motivation. I think that's a beautiful, comforting thought that yes, there's some differences from one part of the world to the next. Yes, there's some differences within specific audiences and groups within our society, within the human species but more or less we're all the same we all care about the same things we're all driven in very very similar ways so there's a there's a there's a good thing and a bad thing maybe that's a maybe that's a good way to there's a little yin and yang on that question
1: (laughs) no that's brilliant and it was really interesting to hear that and comforting to hear that we are so similar and actually you know we overcomplicate it sometimes it can be a lot more simple if we just strip it back
0: well, and, and I think there's, there's some solutions in that very fact and so many things we're facing right now. You know, there's a, a lot of angry people in the world right now, and the, the, they're expressing their anger in a way that's about reinforcing differences. I'm different than you, and therefore you're bad. You're wrong. You're over there. You're the other. Nothing good in history has ever happened by reinforcing our differences. What we need to do if we want to move forward and get better, and I'll leave that broad, broad term, get better, is find the common ground. We need to find what we have in common so we can hold hands and say, you know what? There's some problems we got to fix, but we can hold hands while we do that. And we can move forward understanding that we're not aliens to each other. We're, we're humans. We're all part of one big giant ecosystem. It gives me a great deal of hope.
1: It's quite fascinating how, you know, in some ways we can all be interested in the same things, but we can all still say, oh no, we're different. We're not the same. Just going back to what you were saying earlier. But actually when you find that common ground, that is what pulls us all together and makes us feel like we have that sense of belonging. And it is so important because that's what makes when we work together, that's when we do extraordinary things. And I think that's where we all need to be going. And so tell us what are you working on now? Because the new book's coming out this month, but what's the next thing coming up for you?
0: Well, we've got a whole lot of different stuff happening because you know, I'm a sucker for punishment. And I like to do 27 things at once. So the human assessment work that we're beginning to do with my with my friend, Gene. So that'll be a whole new division of the company where we're able to go in in a very perfected way to help organizations understand the values of the people inside their companies. We're also launching a, you know our, our work has always been about large companies paying us large amounts of money to do very custom research on the people they want to understand. So that carries on. But we're also launching a new division that's about pre-existing reports in various industries. So every time I give a speech, I speak a lot, I'm on stages all over the world, we do a custom study for the people I'm talking to. So as an example, recently I was in Tampa speaking to a conference called Service World, and the people at that conference are from all over the world and they all own companies that employ electricians, plumbers, HVAC guys, painting people, like all the those blue-collar services. So I have a whole study I did for them on an issue they wanted me to address in my keynote, but we only on stage get to share this top little tiny, tiny bit of that. The tip of the iceberg, as they say. And we have this whole report. It's big enough you could write a master's thesis on the stuff that we've got. So we're putting together a, a division that will sell Reports based on these various industry sectors that we've done studies in, and they're going to be a tenth of the cost of what it is wow. to hire us to to do this work. Because that's amazing. Back to what I said earlier. Our my my primary goal here. Yeah, I, I, we all need to make a buck and pay our mortgage for sure. I really want to change the way we all look at each other, and the more people I can give access to the tools and the data, the better, because one person at a time, one company at a time, one place at a time, one industry at a time. I mean, just shift this. If we could just shift the way we look at each other, we can make an impact on, on the world. And we need to find ways to give this away. And so the book, you mentioned the book, if I can plug the book for two seconds, the book, the new book is called The The, the, the death of demographics. And in the book, there's a 15 question quiz that you can send out to your customer database, whoever you want to send it to. Even if you're a small little operator, print it up on sheets and hand it out to customers, stuff it in bags and give them a, you know, enter to win uh, if they bring it back filled up. And the goal is with that, with that quiz is to get as many responses as you possibly can from a group of people that you're trying to understand. And there's an answer key in the book, and it'll tell you which of the 15 biggest archetypes in the value graphics database your audience fits into. And then once you know that, there's 15 chapters in the book that tell you everything we know about those kinds of people. So it's a way for you. It's like a, it's it's like you know it's like scribbling on the back of a napkin. It's not super super accurate. It's like also it's like playing the piano with your fists, right? You're, but at least you're playing the value graphic piano, and you're not using <laughs> the broken demographic cello over in the corner there with no strings that somebody abandoned or should have abandoned a long time ago. So this quiz will give everybody a do-it-yourself way to start using what we've learned with those 750,000 surveys. And and the more ways we can think of to give this away, the better off I'm gonna feel and the better off the world will end up being.
1: Oh, that's amazing. I'm so excited for that. I'll be sure to put links to the book in the show so you Thank guys you. can all get yourself a copy. I think I wanna hit some quick fire round questions for okay. you now, if that's okay, okay, David. Yeah,
0: this sounds like fun, let's okay. do it.
1: <laughs> so what would you say is the best advice you've ever
0: received? Persevere, just keep going. The world is set up to continually try and smack you back. And if it's not humans, it's a a, a bigger force. I don't know. It just feels like there's always a roadblock and just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Persevere. I love
1: it. What Mm. would be the top go-to resource to break some norms, do things a little differently?
0: that's that's actually an easier question to answer than than you might think i think the most important thing that any leader anybody who's trying to accomplish anything in the world needs to do is to do nothing uh and okay, here's what gonna
1: i need a bit more explanation yeah, on that. i know
0: <laughs> i read an amazing book a while ago called the creative process and it's been long out of print i think you might be able to still find a copy on amazon or something but It's basically a collection of some of the biggest, smartest people in the world, the geniuses, Albert Einstein, Socrates, all writing letters or paragraphs or texts about where their big breakthroughs come from. And they all come from pretty much the same place, which is you study, you fill up your brain, you think about it as much as you possibly can, and then you go for a walk or you go swim. Or you sit, Einstein liked to sit in a rocking chair and stare out out from his porch and just do nothing because your brain, it knows what it's doing, but you got to give it a chance. It needs some time to just go, all right, all that incoming stuff. Oh, wow. Let's see if we can find some connections and linkages here. And then if you just do nothing for a little while and let your brain do its work, that's when the insights come. That's when the big ideas come. For me, it's going to the gym. I go lift weights and it sounds like a, you know, meathead thing to do, but it, it, and you can't think about anything except picking up that heavy thing in exactly the right way and then putting it down again in exactly the right way, or you're going to hurt yourself. And so I can't think about emails or work or research or clients or employees. I, all I can think about is picking up that heavy thing and putting it back down again. And I, Nine times out of 10, I come out of a, a, a workout, lifting weights, and I have something in my head that I need to get home and write down. It's brilliant the way it works. That's perfect.
1: That's one of the best top tips and top resources I've ever heard. So that's amazing. <laughs> and so if you could give yourself, your younger self, one piece of advice, what would it be?
0: Mm. It's kind of related to my other comment about perseverance and it's it's believe, to just believe you're a good person, you're capable of doing great things, that whatever it is you want to accomplish, you can, you can get there. But not if you let your belief falter. You have to continue to believe in yourself and relentlessly believe in yourself. And it can be really hard because we all have things we're struggling with. We all have fears. We all have baggage from the past. We all have things we're trying to unlearn and new things we're trying to learn. It can be on a very, very personal level. It can be a real slog trying to get through a day. Those daily sort of rituals we have to go through can be incredibly difficult for some of us at some moments in our life. Sometimes it's just hard getting out of bed, getting dressed, getting food into you, making sure that you, you know, do the couple of things you need to do, even if it's just buying groceries and, you know, getting from one point A to point B into a meeting or something. You just got to keep believing. Yeah. I think it's as simple yeah. as that.
1: I second that hundred percent. And final couple of questions now. Okay. So say you're having a tough day. Mm. One of those days where you're feeling like, I don't know, you haven't got the energy, the mojo to get up and get doing what you should be doing. What's the one music track that lights you up and makes you feel you can take on the day?
0: <laughs> I get so much riving about this. Pretty much anything by Wagner. (laughs) Big, big, screamy opera. I don't know what the hell they're saying to each other, but there's something about human voices making a big racket and in a way that's had the staying power of hundreds and hundreds of years. I'll listen to opera when I'm lifting weights okay I've never told anybody that before that's an embarrassing like you're supposed to listen to heavy metal I or something because you're in the weight room say, right
1: I'm having I'm having a vision of you listening to like booting out opera while lifting weights like it's
0: it's uh yeah
1: <laughs> brilliant absolutely brilliant and where should people find you where do where's best to connect with you
0: Okay. Well, I live on LinkedIn. That's my, that's my home base. I dabble on the other channels, but if you really want to find me on social, come and find me on LinkedIn. You can just look for David Allison or Value Graphics and you'll find me. There's two websites you can go to. One is David Allison Inc. And that's how we talk about my work as a speaker and an author. And then there's valuegraphics.com and that's the, so davidallisoninc.com and valuegraphics.com. That's the company versus the speaker. That's the two, the two worlds that I try and exist in, in a fair and balanced way and fail at miserably pretty much every day. (laughs) But I do my best. I persevere with belief.
1: (laughs) Final (laughs) question for you now. If you had one ask for the listeners, what would it be?
0: Change the way you look at yourself, change the way you look at the people, other people and change the way you look at the world.
1: And that's a wrap for this week. But before I go, can I just remind you that you can also watch snippets of these episodes on YouTube. And actually, this particular one is worth seeing as you get to see the look on David's face when he's talking about the possibilities of knowing your values. Well, it's magic. And I just want to say again, thank you so much to David for coming on the show to share his work because I know it's going to help so many, so many of you to achieve the goals in your business. You can get a hold of his new book, The Death of Demographics, by clicking the link in the description to this podcast. I really hope this was an episode that helps you on your journey. And may I just say a huge thank you to you for growing and sharing this podcast amongst your community. Last week, more people listened to Snippets of Genius podcast in one week than ever before. So please continue to spread the learnings as you take them from this series. And remember, there is no silver bullet. Opportunities are there for you. So chase your dreams with the knowledge you can do anything you set your mind to, because anything is possible. Stay curious and enjoy every minute of the journey and I'll see you very soon.